Let us pray. Our gracious, holy, and righteous Heavenly Father, may we, as we continue worshiping You, have that spirit of holiness and reverence knowing that we are in the presence of the Holy God, the only God, the Creator of the universe, the God and Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, the beloved apostles, and beside you, there is no other God. In the world, there are God's many and Lord's many. But thy word testifies that you are the one and only God and beside you there is none other. We don't say that or profess that in a haughty or self-righteous manner. At least we sure hope we don't. The only reason that we believe that is because of your mercies extended to us. There was a time that we were hateful and hating one another. Our eyes were blinded to the truth and the reality of your being. Your book was not just a mass confusion. Our lives were filled with satisfying the flesh. We had desires of putting ourselves forth forth in front of others in order to be accepted by the world. We still have to fight against such sins. we have a new law, a new principle within us 
that cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? And then we can cry on the heels of that, we thank you for the blood righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a world of turbulence and turmoil. We have lived in a nation that has had some sense of morality in the past. But it seems that most of that has gone away. And we live in a land of turbulence, a world of violence, vain men, professing themselves to be somewhat, creating turbulence and wars and conflicts for the advancement of their coffers. While many of the populace are totally ignorant as to what's going on, And I suppose it has always been that way. It's not that we are highly intellectual or any such thing, but when we set the world in juxtaposition to the teachings of the Word of God, it's easy to see that the whole world has denied the gospel. Oh, there's a semblance, there's a form of entertainment, and in some places a form of godliness. But the power thereof is denied. We would desire to see, at least we think we would, it might so shock us and cause such stringency upon our own lives that it would cause us to think twice. But we would like to see the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the waters covers the sea. The majesty of Christ in so 
on display. That every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We believe that that will be someday. We don't have the details worked out, obviously, for no man does. And we know not what we shall be, but we know that we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Help us now to get a glimpse of You in Your Word. We don't look for any visions or special revelations, but help us to see by faith if nothing but the hinder parts as it was with Moses when you said to him, I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful and I will honor whom I will honor. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Coming back to 1 John chapter 4, we left off with verse 11. But I would like to go back just for uh, context sake to read verses 7 through 15. We're going to be looking at verse 12 this morning. But as, as you know, we uh, the epistles... And even even uh, though there are individual verses, these individ- individual verses are not to be looked at as we might the book of Proverbs, where each proverb contains uh, a subject matter in and of itself. But in an epistle, you don't write a letter that way. If you're writing to someone, uh, what you said in the sentence above has connection with the sentence below, uh, pretty much throughout the letter, except maybe sometimes when there's a break with a paragraph that might start a new subject. And even then, oftentimes, the new paragraph has some continuity with the paragraph before. And of course, ideally, if we were really going to go all the way, 
we would start with 1 John 1 1 and just read the whole epistle. But uh, time does not allow for that. And so uh, let's begin in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that knoweth not, excuse me, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him and He in God. Now you see that verse 12, and particularly the first part of verse 12, no man has seen God at any time. It seems as if that John had just thrown that in through the side door, as it were. He's talking about the love of God and us loving one another in verses prior to that. And then after that statement in 1 John 4.12, the first part, he continues on that we love one another and God dwells in us and we dwell in God and love is perfected by us loving one another and so on. And it makes you say, well, why did he throw that in the middle? No man has seen God at any time. Well, I hope to answer that before uh, the message is out. But before we answer that, let's just look at that phrase or that sentence. No man has seen God at any time. You say, well, that's obvious. And yet, is it obvious? Let me ask you something. Do you or are you tempted when you pray to God to visualize an image? even though that image may be, as far as you're concerned, unseen, you still try to conceptualize God. I do. 
catch myself doing that, try to fight against it. And we being creatures created by God, the only way that we can, well, I say the only way, uh, let me let me rephrase that. Uh, the essential way that we can grasp concepts and ideas is to have a visual image in some way or the other. How do you grasp two plus two is four? Well, you conceptualize two individual objects and put together with two other individual objects, let's say apples, you take a couple of apples and you put them with two other apples and you see four apples. In other words, you're visualizing somewhat. You may take that into geometry, into algebra or physics and all different uh, things of nature, I mean things of learning. Uh, in English, I remember uh, one of the major uh, disciplines that I had to acquire when I got into some of the higher grades is conjugate the verb to be in order to try to understand grammatically sentences and understand grammatically what is being said. And even as uh, in my preaching, as you know, sometimes I will say something like that this verb is present, active, indicative. Well, those three words give you the idea that something has happened now and it's actively happening and it's a, something that is continually happening. Or we say something is imperative. We talked about that being a command and things of that nature. So those words gives us an idea and we conceptualize that idea. But what word is there to conceptualize God who is invisible? Who is invisible? God cannot be seen. Now when we say God cannot be seen, what we mean is God in His uh, essential being. And we have some Scriptures that testify that. Look at uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. 
the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Boy, I'd like to see God. Well, uh, you're not going to see God. Except in Christ Jesus. Except in Christ Jesus. I know that there are statements in the in the Scriptures that indicates that we're going to see the manifestations of God in glory. But here is a, a premise, a law, a principle, an axiom. No man has seen God at any time, and the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. The only way you're going to see God is in the person of Christ as He is manifested unto us in various ways. And I'm not talking about dreams and visions. I'm not talking about dreams and visions. In John chapter 4, in verse 24, Jesus said to the woman at the well, God is a spirit. God is a spirit. Now we don't see spirits. We see vapor. Uh, I believe it was yesterday morning. Either that or Friday morning. I had to be out early at both of those. But uh, one of the, you know, I was out and I was driving and I was driving through fog. Well, what is fog? It's a cloud close to the ground. Water vapor. Well, a spirit is not like a cloud. A spirit is not, uh, uh, what is the word? Is translucent? Is that the word I'm looking for? That you can see through uh, to some degree, but it's you know still veiled. The spirit is not like that. It's not like Casper the the ghost of the the cartoons. It's not like movies that show some type of uh, uh, 
vapor that looks like maybe smoke or a cloud or something of that nature or some uh, translucent object that you can see through and yet not see through. God is a spirit and as uh, theology has uh, designated it and I don't know how to designate it any differently, it's uncompounded pure spirit. What do you mean uncompounded? It's not put together. You, you see, you pick up a, a handful of clay. It's a compound. It, it, it's put together. Man is created, and he's created out of the dust of the earth. He's, he's a compound. The angels are created, and they are a compound. They are spirit. But they're compounded spirit. But God is uncompounded. Angels are here and not there. In other words, angels are localized. Angels can't be everywhere at the same time. But God is. You say, well... That's beyond my wildest imagination. It sure is. But God, 100% God is here today. And on the other side of the earth, as well as the poles, both north and south, as well as in the heavens, where the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets and the galaxies are. And there is no bound of His habitation. You can't see Him. You cannot see Him. He's a spirit. To create a totem pole, to make a cross and carve some man on it, to paint a picture and reverence it is idolatry. It's idolatry. In Matthew chapter 11, we virtually have the same thing as John 1.18, but I want to read that. Matthew chapter 11. Verse, 20, uh, verse 27. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth 
the Son, but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. The sum total of God is revealed in Christ. And the sum total of Christ is revealed by the Father. No man knoweth the Son but the Father which hath sent him. And neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Beloved, each part of your knowledge of God and the sum total of, of all of your knowledge of God has been given to you by Christ. Obviously, you're to read, you're to uh, pray, you're to uh, hear sermons and all of that. But the only way that we can really understand God and know God is for God to reveal Himself unto us. And yet, there is, which we're going to get to, I'm hopefully wetting your appetite, there is a concrete truth whereby you can know that you know God and that you love Him. But it's not by seeing God in His person or in His being. Now God has revealed Himself <clears throat> in types. Not His full manifestation. Look in first of all in Genesis chapter 32. <clears throat> Genesis 32. But God has been very selective in doing that. You don't need to read what we're reading and say, well God, I want you to do this for me too because He's not going to do it. We have the full revelation of God. What is the full revelation of God given to us? The Bible. The Bible. But Genesis 32, Let's begin at verse 24. 
And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hallow of his thigh, and the hallow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint, out of joint as he wrestled with him. Let me pause here for just a moment. For some years when I would read this or come across this, I would think, man, I, I want to try to pray to God and like Jacob did and wrestle with, with Him. Well, you know, this only happened to Jacob. It never happened to Abraham. It never happened to Isaac. It didn't happen to Isaiah. This only happened to Jacob and no one else. And for me to pray that I have this same experience that Jacob had is to pray contrary to the Word of God. God hasn't promised to give that to anyone else. But it, it did happen to Jacob. That's not a fan, that's not a fairy tale. That's a real a real thing. Verse twenty seven. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God, and with men hast power with God and with men, and hath prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. You know, what's, what's your name? And he said, Wherefore is it that thou askest, thou ask after my name? And he blessed him there, and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. In other words, Jacob saw a manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what theology calls a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ. In other words, Christ manifesting Himself as a man before He actually became a man. This is not God in a spirit. How do we know that? Because it said in verse 24, and there wrestled a man. There wrestled a man with him. Jesus Christ revealed Himself as a man, 
Angels have done that too. But we're looking at Christ. How do we know this was Christ? Because Jacob said, I have seen God face to face. He saw Christ in a personal confrontation, but he didn't see a spirit. He didn't see God in His fullness. Exodus chapter 33. Let's begin at verse 12. Exodus thirty three twelve, And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom uh, thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, Show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, that is, Moses said to the Lord, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, and I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth? And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I and will be gracious uh, to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. I might as well read the rest. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me that thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass that while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and I will cover thee with mine hand while I pass by, and I will take away mine hand that thou shalt see my back part, but my face shall not be seen. He saw a manifestation of God, but he didn't see the full God.
And without going into a great deal of detail, would you like to see the glory of God? Well, I'm going to tell you what it is. Look at verse 19. I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and show mercy to whom I will show mercy. That's the glory of the Lord. That's the glory of the Lord, that He's gracious to whom He's gracious, and He shows mercy to whom He will show mercy. Beloved, have you seen the, the glory of the Lord? Has He been gracious to you? Is He not merciful to you? That's the glory of the Lord. And what greater manifestation of His mercy and grace than in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's shown that to us. Numbers chapter 12. I'm going to have to hurry on if I'm not careful. Uh, this is uh, when Moses and Aaron spoke against, excuse me, uh, Aaron and Miriam spoke against Moses because the, uh, the his Ethiopian wife Let's start in verse 4. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and said unto Aaron and to Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three, three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of a cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall, be, shall he behold, Therefore, when there, uh, then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? In other words, he said, I'll just speak to him directly. He said, I wish God would speak to me directly. You're not a Moses. You couldn't handle it. 
you're not a Moses. And who, who are we to think that we are to be a Moses? Well, let's jump quickly to the New Testament. First Timothy. God is a spirit. You don't see God. But God manifests Himself several ways, several times. But He does it in and through and by the Lord Jesus Christ. First Timothy. Chapter one. Verse seventeen. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. He's immortal. He's eternal. He's invisible. 1 Timothy 6.16 Who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. And then Hebrews 11 Verse 27, talking about Moses. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He saw him by faith, in other words. Now, having said all of that, what does that have to do with no man has seen God at any time? Well, let's read verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Whoever God dwells in, and I know that's a dangling preposition, <laughs> loves other people in whom God dwells. Let me read from Robert Candlish. Since the meaning in another view of it, of this solemn imitation brought in at this stage and in this connection, no man has seen God at any time. There is, there can be no safe way are proving that we are born of God and know God except our loving what is seen.
No love to the unseen can suffice. Nay, love to the unseen alone may almost be made too much of. It may become deceptive and delusive or unwholesome and unsafe. Our love, if it is to be God's very love in us, must be love like His to what is seen by both alike, to real, actual, living men, seen by us as by Him, in that channel, love is perfected in Christian. Or our, in that channel, our love uh, to the unseen may always safely run. In other words, we can't see God, but we can see each other. And if we can see and know that we're loving each other, then we know that we're loving God whom we haven't seen and can't see. So let's, with that in mind, let's go back and read verses 11, 12, and 13. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. How do I know that I have the Spirit of God in me? I can't see it. You say, well, I can feel it. Uh, mostly what we feel is physical, not spiritual. I can feel excitement if my ball team has won. I can feel excitement if I see loved ones that I haven't seen for a while. I can feel excitement if I eat too much or don't eat enough. Those are physical things. God deals with us on spiritual level, not on the physical level. So how do I know that I can how do I know God if I haven't seen him? How do I know that I have the Spirit of God if I can't feel it? Though people say, well we do feel it, and I believe there is a a sense of that, but I don't want to get off into that. But how what is a tangible way that lets me know that I love God and have His Spirit is that I love who I do see, His people. And we've already covered how we know that we know that we love His people is when we see they're in need and we do for them. So when, when God inspired John to throw this into the middle of all of that. No man has seen God at any time. He said, no, nobody's seen God at any time, but you can know that you have the Spirit of God and you can know that you have God by the way that you love His people.
Candace make a couple of other statements that I wrote down, thought was good. In this human love, in our thus loving one another, the divine love has its consummation or perfection. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. And then, for it is not absolute or general perfection that is here meant. Perfection in the wide and universal sense of that term. The command so understood would be irreverent as well as impractical. Irrelevant as well as impractical. It is perfection or completeness through simplicity and uprightness as regards the particular grace conferred to according to a use of word very common in the Old Testament Scriptures. But anyway, I wanted, you to, I wanted to spend time on that for you to see when it's a... No man has seen God at any time to see it in its context. And that it gives continuity to what was said before and what was said afterward. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word, for the beauty of holiness that is found in the reality of your being. And help us try and to work at not conjuring up <clears throat> some uh, image, even some invisible image, which sounds ridiculous to say invisible image, But we are sinners. But help us <clears throat> to see Christ and to see it as reflected in your people. In Jesus' name, Amen.